Hey, welcome to the Sanctuary Church podcast. Sanctuary Church is a family following the path of Jesus together in Providence, Rhode Island. If you'd like to learn more about our community, you can visit our website at sanctuaryri.org or check us out on social media. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope you are encouraged by today's teaching. If you are um, new with us uh, and you'd like to know a little bit more about our community, maybe you've been here for a while, you'd like to join a team, you'd like to join a home church, home churches will start back up. Can I get a whoop? In a couple weeks, um, our, our uh, way of joining home church, our pathway, is by joining a thing called Pathway, which is this, uh, it's going to be a six-week, actually, cohort, um, and that's a, a funny word to use, I guess, a collective, a dinner. It'll be part, like, spiritual formation course, part orientation to how we think about discipleship, part meal, part time of worship. It's been such a gift. There's been about... 10 to 20 people who've joined the last two rounds. And um, we'll let you know a little bit more about that as it gets closer. But that's like the entry point then into our life of home church. And if you're new with us, home church are like our groups. But if you'd like to just know some basic stuff, summer is a great time to get connected. Um, There's always like so many people traveling on a vacation, but it also means there's less folks in the room and an ability to connect. So when we do picnics, like in the next couple of weeks, picnics on the State House lawn. Uh, we'll do an intro to sanctuary. Uh, we do that in the first of every month, which is a small lunch that happens, short lunch that happens in this room right after the service. And we also have, I believe we have a slide for this, um, a welcome to church night that's happening. Uh, my wife and I are going to be hosting this. And this is for anybody, even if you've been at intro to sanctuary, if you've been just like, we find during the summer, there's people are so in and out. Um, if you've uh, become part of the community in the last couple months or so, or just haven't really connected in, and you'd love to just meet some other folks, um, we would love to have you and host you. So we're just going to put a meal together, a little barbecue in the backyard. I'll share a little bit about the church, depending on who's heard what, um, but it'll be a time just to connect in with some new folks and that we get to know you, um, my wife and I. Uh, so that's going to be coming up pretty soon. Uh, a few things that are important, really, really important uh, for you. If you are here and you have children, um, we do something that is one of the probably top five things uh, in our community that I love in our community, which is our family retreat. Um, and our, yeah, we can give it up for the fall family retreat. Our fall family retreat uh, happens in Swansea, New Hampshire. It's only two hours away. We uh, subsidize the cost pretty greatly. It's $300 for a family. Um, And if you can't afford that, um, we would love to help you with that and make sure that there's no physical obstacle to you going. So that's um, two nights, all food taken care of. You're in a cabin. You're not like in a tent for those that really don't want to camp. If you would like to be in a tent and you're like, that's weak, then please feel free to set up a tent as well. Um, But it is a weekend where we get away and we try to create some meaningful times of rest for you and your family, some spiritual formation. Uh, Pastor Sarah and I lead some sessions around how to help our kids grow in the way of Jesus. We have some specific time for men and women while we're there, wives and husbands while we're there, and grandparents are welcome too. So uh, we want to, we're going to share a lot more about this in the coming weeks Um, You'll see a video popping around soon. You've probably already seen some things on social. What we do ask is, could you please register as soon as possible? We already, you know, a lot of you saved the date a year ago when we announced the date. 
But I want to just invite you to actually lock that in, if you could, for that weekend. So that is October 6th and 7th, 7 to 9. There is also an option to come up on that Friday night if you don't want to come up Saturday morning. It's a tiny bit more money, but we would love to have you uh, come up and make a weekend of it. And the second thing I just want to put a bug in your ear about that, if you do not have kids, maybe you're like young married couple, older married couple, you're single, college student, and you would like a weekend away, I feel like I'm like a salesman right now, for free in the beautiful woods of New Hampshire in peak fall, we would love to have you come up and help. We need some help. And some of that help will be a few of the adult sessions. So these are not all day. There's like two um, parent sessions. And we invite the kids to something like a kid's city program. It's outside, running around, a lot of fun. Um, And then there's some other just logistical things to help out. Uh, We would love to have you sign up for that. So we have not announced or put signups up for that yet. But would you think about that? Look at your calendar. Um, There was a couple, uh, I think last year, two years ago, who made it like they're like, just weekend anniversary getaway kind of thing. So they like helped out with a couple sessions that they had to during the day and then just enjoy the beautiful town of Swansea and all of that. Uh, And if you don't care about any of that, you just want to really help the church. You care a lot about families as a single person. That is such a gift to us. And so I just want to encourage you uh, to do that. Um, Another big thing coming up uh, in two weeks is Heart. This is our worship night. Um, we had originally announced that it was going to be at 12 Bassett Street. It's not. It's going to be right here on August 22nd. This is going to be just, um, this is an important night. These are always important nights for us in our church to come. And we just encourage everyone to come out for this. It's a night where we pray and we worship together. Um, and we're going to have some social stuff going on after that. But we, um, as we begin to enter into the new year. This kicks off a few weeks of prayer and fasting together that we do every time we come into the new ministry year. Um, And so I want to invite anyone to come, invite friends. We extend this out to other churches. This is just an important thing as we continue to seek God for awakening and revival in our region. Uh, Mentioned the welcome to church dinner already. And then uh, they usually don't let me do announcements, but uh, I have the last couple weeks. Oh, Newport Summer Sessions is coming up on August 31st. Great opportunity for anybody to come down, hustle down to Newport after work on Thursday. Margarita and Pat put, like, killer time together. Beach volleyball, uh, food. It's so much fun just hanging out on the beach. This will be our last official one of the summer. Uh, And we have a little time then around the fire if you'd like to stay for worship and a little bit of teaching. Um, And uh, lastly... Uh, if you have not registered yet for a conference, a uh, conference kind of wraps up that season of prayer and fasting. We have uh, a bunch of folks coming uh, who are going to pour in outside people. Some folks from Redeemer, Michael Carrion coming, Chris Griffith coming again to lead worship. Uh, somebody who I'm excited to, uh, I, I can announce this to a degree, uh, but somebody who's coming who is part of the Asbury Revival who's going to come and share as well, and some outside folks who are going to be able to just pour in and stir us up as a church. This is last year. This was the single most um, catalyzing event in our church, I would say. Uh, It stirred a a fresh hunger uh, for ministry. Um, People met the Lord in a really, like, new and good way, and it's important that we bring in other folks outside our church to pour in. Last year, it was for just our teams and leaders, and this year, we're extending it to everybody so I want to encourage you to sign up for that. And all of that sits at that QR code. You can also find it in this week's links on the website. And I've already gone far too long. So would you stand for the reading of the word?
Yeah. Hi. Um, today we're going to be reading Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. The word of the Lord is blessed. I always forget that. <laughs> you may be seated. Um, so hi, my name's Stasia, uh, and I wanted to tell you guys my story. So, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> so early in my life, my parents separated because of things happening in the house before my mom realized what was happening. Having to keep quiet caused a lot of pain, and I, offered one, I often wondered if it was my fault. Every Sunday, my mom would send me to church with my aunt. I often heard about God and all the good things he brings to his children, such as peace, love, healing, and joy. As a child, I remember hearing Christ's invitation at the end of every Sunday's altar call. I'd always heard great things and seen the encounters people experience when giving their life to Christ. As a result, I gave my life to him at eight in front of the whole church. I was unsure what this meant at such a young age, but I knew deep down there was a love and joy I had longed for. Shortly after, my decision to get baptized came. In middle school, I experienced a lot of bullying from people who I thought were my friends. This caused me to develop a sense of depression and fake who I was to fit in or even be accepted. I remember praying to God because I was always taught when times get hard, pray. One Sunday, just a few weeks before I would enter my first year of high school, my youth pastor told my mom about this great opportunity to take a few teens up to Lake Champion, a young life camp. I never really enjoyed camp, but my mom insisted I go. As soon as we pulled up to the campsite, I saw all these people screaming outside the bus to welcome us. And for the first time, my spirit felt a sense of peace. Later that night, later did I, that night, later, later that night, little did I know my life would begin to change at cabin time, where my youth leader had me and the other girls share our stories. Being so nervous, I started to speak, and I could immediately tell that there was no one judging me for who I was who had, or what I have been through. During that week at camp, I experienced Jesus in a way I had never before. I left that week wanting nothing more than to begin to know him more. Fast forward to college, I went in knowing Christ and was for sure that no one or thing would take me off the path of walking with him until I hit my junior year. I began to surround myself with the wrong crowd of people, lost sight of who I was, and looked for love in all the wrong places. I knew I was doing wrong, but I always told myself, it's fine, God knows my heart. It wasn't until my senior year of college I found myself in a situation where I had no one to turn to but God. At that moment, I vowed to him I was no longer running, and I would surrender my life to him. As I followed him and gave him my complete yes, Doors opened and life got sweeter. Though life didn't become easier, he continues to remind me every day that I am his and his steadfast love and faithfulness in my life and the people's lives around me.
so I wanted to share because um, I knew God my whole life. Like my mom would send me to church with my aunt. Um, my mom actually got saved because of me. Um, and I know. And um, I just remembered like just the peace that I felt knowing him. And then I was like, oh, like nothing's gonna like turn me off the path of like following him. And then high school hit and then college hit and the world started calling me, but God was also calling me. And I remember I was like, oh, like it's fine. God knows my heart. Like I could sit and he'll still love me. And about two years ago, so not this April that just passed, but the April before, I remember God was just like calling me. He was like, Deja, you need to repent. Like you need to give me your full yes and not just half. And at that point I was like, I'm gonna give him half and he's gonna accept me. And he was like, no, no, I'll, I'll take it, but I don't deserve it. And um, just like the repentance and knowing I was doing wrong, but still like, it's fine, God knows my heart then hit a point where I was like, I can't run, and I have no one else to turn to but him. So that's really why I wanted to share, and my life has, it has become easier, but just like following him and seeing just the lives of the people around me change, and just the support system I have, and not having to fake who I am to fit in, and just being accepted really opened up my eyes, and I'm like just grateful, so yeah. yeah. All right, so then what were you hoping, well, you kind of hit on this a bit, but what were you hoping that you look out here uh, and hoping that when people hear you mm-hmm. share their story, or you didn't get into all the detail, and you just mentioned that that's why life got easier, mm-hmm. there was something that clicked. So what were you hoping people would come out What were you hoping God might do to you in this Yeah, so I'm hoping that, um, like, you all just realize that even in your running, even in your sin, God still loves you. And I think that's, like, the most beautiful thing is that he loves you no matter what you do. And he's waiting for you. But you just have to, like James said, just open the door and let him in. Because once you let him in, like, just what he reveals to you is just, it's life-changing. So, yes. (laughs) Sure. So you wrote at the end of this question. You wrote, I'm also hoping that people will take away that God is a God of promise. His plan is so much greater than anything that you can think or imagine. And then you wrote that they will cast off the darkness of the greater than that. Yes. <laughs> Come on, right? Yeah. And just the joy. So we also wanted to take this moment, and I want to invite up Deja's home church. If you guys wouldn't mind coming up, whoever's here from her home church. And we wanted to just, um, uh, a moment like this, just to mark the time um, where there's a sense of uh, you kind of rededicating, like saying, saying yes and confirming that in front of the congregation, in front of family especially this family here, your home, your home church people. And 
that is just a, a powerful, powerful thing. And so we just want to bless you. Lord, I thank you for Deja. And we just bless her in this, um, to mark this moment of resurrender. We get it so twisted when we boil your salvation down to like one point where we raised our hand and said yes to you. As important as that is, that is the beginning of the journey, not the end. And it is point upon point upon point of saying yes again and saying yes again and saying yes again. And so um, adult Deja, Deja who's been through some fire, who's been through some struggle, <laughs> we, 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 just, we dedicate you again to the Lord and bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Come on, one more time. Oh, man. Rejoicing. This is the series that we've been in. I wanted um, a part of the, the gift. She was going to share that anyway. But asking those two questions, it was just so evident the, the joy that just kind of exploded out from remembering just how good God is. We've been talking over the last uh, month or so during the summer as we've journeyed through the book of Philippians. We've talked about rejoicing over affliction. How do we do that? Rejoicing in community. Last week, man, there's something that happened in the hearts of so many. I turned at one point to a buddy of mine. I looked over. I'm like, what was that? And he looked up at me and smiled. And he goes, I don't know. I hope you were here last week. If you weren't, I really encourage you to listen to the teaching. It's basically just, just James Hollenquist crying for 20 minutes. It's the best. Is James here? You here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the best. I'm going to actually refer back to that in just a moment. We talked about what does it mean to be people who, are, who rejoice because the gospel is preached. Paul says, I rejoice. Yes, I rejoice. Because people are coming to know Jesus. Because people are rededicating their life. Because we're watching people overcome the evil and brokenness and ache of the world because I'm watching people come alive in the name of Jesus. Like we're, and, and what I, I was trying to think about how best to wrap this series up as we've been dancing around Philippians, focusing in on this through line in the book, which is joy, 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 rejoice, 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 rejoice. All this joy in Philippians for Paul is about having your joy rooted in something bigger, the source of your contentment, the source of your daily rootedness and rest, the anchor in your days that opens you to joy even when things are hard. It's because he's placed his story into a larger one. Last week, James just bawling on the stage in front of, in front of everyone because he saw something actually that he has seen before some high school students getting a glimpse of this story, beginning to trust there's something bigger happening. That gospel story, the bigger story, it finds its apex in the gospel. The gospel, which means good news that we just read during communion. I want to read it again. The gospel is the good news that God, our Father, the Creator, out of His great love for us, has come to rescue us from sin and renew all things in and through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf to establish his kingdom, like his way of being, through his people in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
this is for God's great glory and our profound joy. That was the most distilled but biblically rooted definition of the gospel I could come up with. This, the good news that Jesus is king would be the simplest way to say it. It's this story that though the world is broken, God loved us so much. A God of love gives us this option to choose him or not. And in the wake of the brokenness of us continually not choosing him, he comes to restore and reset everything. God is not a mystery or something we need to figure out what he's like. He shows us fully what he's like in the person of Jesus and then invites us to join him in putting everything back together. Not through coercion, not through just zapping us all out to heaven, but because he's a God of love, through wooing the nations back through his people. There's a bigger story for Paul, and we've talked about this over the summer, that Paul's rooting his story in. It's why last week when um, suddenly he's able to run from jail because some miraculous earthquake thing happens. He stays back so the prison guard doesn't out of honor kill himself and then creates an opportunity where he can actually preach the gospel. He says he has endured shipwrecks and hardship. He had an opportunity to climb the rabbinical ranks. He says, I count all of that, all the money, all the prestige, all the wealth, even my own health, I count it as nothing for the sake of joining with this larger story. We read in the Gospels that this is eternal life, to know Jesus, to trust Jesus. Deja sitting here full of joy going to understand the deeper yes what a gift because so often when we struggle and when we have hardship and brokenness in our life we're so focused on the thing itself we don't get our eyes up to the larger story that's going on when your life is centered on the gospel when you trust the story and keep trusting it when you believe it's the truest thing that everything sad, like Tolkien said, everything sad will become untrue. That you don't have to fear death because you will live with God forever. That your identity is settled. How many would love their identity just to be settled? You are a loved child of God before you're anything else. To trust that actually death, though most psychologists say this is the thing that actually drives us the most is a fear of death, a subconscious fear of death, to know that the sting of that death is gone. When you root yourself in all of this more and more and more, you will be better able to understand the thrust of Paul's thinking on joy in the book of Philippians. I think for us, we too often think of joy as something we have to wait for. We think of joy as something that happens when, these, when like this circumstance that's hard ends or when this particular season is over. And there's some truth to that. The joy is something that's tied to things working out. And because of this, I think many of us are naturally tempted to simply wait for things. But that's just not, it's not all bad. It's just not how the Gospels, how the Scriptures talk about joy. How do the Scriptures talk about joy, Andrew? Thanks for asking. The scriptures speak of something that can actually be, hear this, practiced. Can you just say practiced back to me? It can actually be practiced. Joy is something you can work at. It can be cultivated. It can be present when we are in Christ and rooted in the story. And so before we get to Philippians, I, I, I want to 
like turn to the book of John just for a quick second and look at what Jesus says, a brief glance of his teachings on joy, because it gives us insight into this practice. I'm going to hit John 15, 16, and 17, if you have your Bibles in front of you, really quickly. John 15, 11. He says to his apprentices, I have told you this, all this stuff he's talking about, I don't have time to get into it all now, so that my joy, Jesus' joy, may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. John 16, verse 24, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete, i.e. trust me with your stuff, with your finances, with your 401k. Trust me with your life. Orient your life around the mission of God, not trying to, like, have a decent, solid retirement for the few years that you may be senile and awake and alive. I got a little edge this morning. It's coming. It's brewing. John 17 but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy in them. Apparently, God's pretty joyful. We read about at the end, some of us have this vision of like heaven is God's gonna like look at all the bad things we've done and give us like, I don't know, like a, some sort of like slash mark or have to like, you know, jump through some sort of hoop. And it's funny, some of the texts that talk about the end, whatever that will ultimately look like, he says, at that moment, he will look at all of the praiseworthy and good things you've done and will be full of joy. Jesus is like God. At the center of the universe is a God full of joy. Think really quick of the most beautiful place you've ever been. Think of the happiest moment of your life. Whatever God's relationship to time and space is, it's obviously different than mine and yours. There's no place that God is not. So God was in that moment, in that moment of pure joy and happiness and rest. Now, you know that also then means, if we're to trust the classical Christian understanding of God being everywhere, now you know that the flip is true. There's these moments of deep sadness and pain. And God is with you in that, in all the moments of pain and brokenness across the world. Now, God, apparently full of joy, God clearly has enough of a vantage point that he sees all the sadness and yet knows it's ultimately passing away. And he longs for his disciples and apprentices to have a glimpse of that view. Everything sad will be made untrue. He says that they may have the full measure of joy. The full measure. And this right here is the, 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 the Jesus way of talking about being joyful. It's all there in the word. He wants us to grow and mature into a church where the overall condition of our hearts is joy. Does that sound nice to anyone? The overall condition of your heart is joy, that you would become a joy-filled person. Cultivating a joyful heart is at the center of becoming like Jesus. For anyone who's in this room who even a part of you wants to become an apprentice of Jesus, even a part of you wants to become a little bit more of a disciple of Jesus, apparently, 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 cultivating a life of joy and having the full measure of that joy 
is what it means to enter into that journey. So how do we do this? There is this command that runs through the New Testament. And this command is what Deja just read to us. And it is the command to rejoice. Will you say rejoice? Anyone grew up with that song, Rejoice in the Lord Always Again? I say rejoice. rejoice. Raise your hand if you're like an old school church kid. Who is a couple of you in here? Rejoice. I don't know if I've ever taken the time. I've had this word kicking around my mind for a long time. Any of you who've grown up in the church, right? It's not a word we use too often outside of the church. In the Greek, it is the verb form of the noun joy. Scholars argue the best definition is this, to celebrate. It has this idea, actually, in its bones of a word of a meal. Because at a table, you celebrate, you rejoice. Again, most of us don't think of joy as a discipline or a practice. We don't think we have any responsibility at all. Richard Foster says it like this. He says, the decision to set the mind on the higher things of life is an act of the will. That is why celebration is a discipline. It is not something that falls on our head. It is the result of a consciously chosen way of thinking and living. To align ourselves with joy, to open our hearts to this joy, is to actually go after it, to pursue it. So when Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord always, again I say it. I will say it again, rejoice. Paul's not messing around. Rejoice. Now, Rowan, my, my uh, second daughter, had a month recently. I don't know if your kids have ever gone through this. By the way, my kids are getting old enough now that I got to stop telling stories about them. I probably should already stop, but I, I, so don't tell her. Okay, she's down in Kid City. She had a month where she was so down, so down, like really down. Everything was the worst. Any of your kids ever gone through this? She was five years old at the time, four or five. Everything. I, let me see if I can capture the perpetual sound. It was an actual sound she made, but it also is symbolic of everything she was feeling for what felt like a month. Ready? Uh. Any kids got a uh? Or, uh. language, the neck out, everything was the worst, the worst. Now, I'd like to confess that um, I am, uh, I struggle with that posture because it would be the most inconsequential things to me. And I would charge in, this is like classic parenting fail. I'd, I'll, I'll sum up my like regular speeches to her. I would try to be patient. I like listen to a podcast, but I called a friend of mine who's like a, who's like a specialty and child therapist to try to like help with some of this. Like, I know I need to approach her gently and just be like, look, everything in your life is amazing. It was like, it was like, the, it was like the equivalent of like, why are you sad? Stop. There's nothing to be sad about. Now, it wasn't quite that demonstrative to her, but it was close. Just like anyone, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but like anyone ever struggle with that as a parent? Or maybe you were on the receiving of that. You were a kid with really big emotions. You have really big emotions, and people did not know how to deal with it around you. And they're just like, just stop. What could you possibly? Like, I've been wiping your butt for the last three years. I feed you every morning. You play games all day. How can you be sad? 
This is the narrative going on in my head. Look at the bright side. I share that story because Paul's not doing that. He's not simply making like uh, um, some soft suggestion uh, about being like, um, just, I want you to make you more joyful. It's like when Brittany taught. This wasn't about um, just white knuckle, like lack of anxiety. Stop being sad. He's not doing that. But he is not just making a little soft suggestion either. He's commanding us not to, look, be joyful. Just do it. He's not saying that. He's saying, rejoice. Do that. Do you understand the difference? Not, go be, be happy. Like, Sydney, knock it off, be happy. Like, just, no. No. He's saying, celebrate. Rejoice. Practice it. Step into it. Now, again, this is not a teaching about the ways, again, I want to refer you back to Brittany's great teaching on spiritual bypassing, avoiding our pain. This is not about that. But it's about getting your eyes on what is most true. And as a follower of Jesus, all of a sudden, the command, rejoice. Live a life of celebration of who God is and what he's done in the midst of everything. It will begin to change you. Set your mind on the things of God. Celebrate the things of God because you become what you celebrate. Anybody who is a leader in business who's worth their salt in setting culture in their company knows this to be true. It's not what you say, it's what you celebrate. There's about a billion blog posts and books on this. And it's true, and it's what Paul's getting at. It shapes you and the people around you. Because we all know one of the biggest temptations in our church, because it's one of the biggest temptations in our city, because it's one of the biggest temptations in our region, is cynicism, negativity, knock people down. We don't know how to celebrate. We don't know how to rejoice because we want to be real. And in the service of being real, we actually put our attention on things that are less than the good and the true and the beautiful. And so Paul goes on in this section after he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He says, Don't be anxious, which is about surrendering the illusion of control. And then he says, Give thanks. This is everywhere in scripture and in modern day psychology. Practice Thanksgiving, just that alone. Like just try and practice it. Get up in the morning. You may not be grateful for a lot of things at first blush because the first thing you looked at was your newsfeed, which as we've talked about until we're like blue in the face, is, a, is, a, is, is designed because it wants to make money. It will give you more bad news than good. It's literally how it's set up. This isn't hidden. This isn't some weird pastoral conspiracy. It's like we know psychologically you gravitate toward bad news. The people who make these products know that, which is why half the Silicon Valley uh, innovators are giving their kids flip phones and getting them off social media. Practice Thanksgiving. And then he says, and he adds this section at the end about setting your mind almost wrapping this up. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever's admirable, whatever's excellent or praiseworthy, think about that stuff. Think about those things. Not only those things, not avoid your pain, but think about those things. 
think about the larger story and the larger truths and keep your mind set on those things. In fact, those are the things that will help you engage and step into the pain and ache of our life. Set your mind on God and the things of God. Look, we don't have control of our emotions, but we do have some control over our thought life. Guys, I, I struggle with control over my emotions. Some of you are like, big surprise. I'm working on it. It's been a journey. But if you're always like in the dump all the time, or you are like hot and fly off the handle, I know that can be hard to feel like you can control, but I guarantee it's linked back to your thought life. Guarantee. Guarantee it. What are you keeping your mind on? I think I'm going to become a more kind and gracious person by playing violent video games most of the time, avoiding trying to think about anything meaningful in my life because it's just too hard. Jumping from thing to thing. You're going to turn out great. It's sort of like the old adage, like if you're trying to really like be, be like come into a marriage healthily later in life, for those of you like who are like, you know, you're like, I'd love to get married one day. Maybe you're like in college or just out of college. And you're like, and you're trying to prepare yourself for that. And it's like, like messing around with a lot of people is not the great, like pornography. These things are not a great way to prepare for like, a pure, beautiful, like, faithful marriage. Like, that's not a great preparation plan. And we think that we can just kind of flip a switch. I'm going to be joyful today. No. What do we set our mind onto? Getting your eyes up is the key to walking in the joy of the Lord. And this is, feels like it's been our refrain again and again this last year. Get your eyes up. N.T. Wright says this about this section in Philippians. You can put this on the screen. The command in Philippians 4.8 to think about all the wonderful and lovely things listed here that I just read. It runs directly opposite to the habits of mind instilled by the modern media. Read the newspapers. Their stock and trade is anything that is untrue, unholy, unjust, impure, ugly, and of ill repute, vicious and blameworthy. Is that a true representation of God's good and beautiful world? How are you going to celebrate the goodness of the Creator if you feed your mind only on the places in the world which humans have made ugly? Again, it's not about avoiding pain or the injustice of the world. Not an invitation to not be up on the brokenness in our city and the things that we are supposed to pour ourselves into and care for. The oppression and injustice we're meant to fight against. It's not what this is. But it is setting your mind first and foremost on the things of God. Setting your life on the larger story that even the brokenness and tears fit into. God promises that he will turn all things together for good for those who love him. And I've been in a church for a long time. This one, where we are all tempted, myself included, to go, yeah, 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 but we want to make sure we're honest about that verse. And we give about a thousand prefaces wanting to make sure that, like, we don't just treat that as a throwaway verse. I'd like to bring that verse back with, like, uh, with, like some energy. God will make whatever you're going through good. He will turn it for good into a place of redemption and restoration. He will allow it to shape you and shape those around you. He will take something that he's not the author of that he didn't do. That church hurt that you experienced, that pain you experienced, that doubt, that betrayal, that's not of God. It wasn't him. And it hurts and it's real and he cares and he weeps with you. And if you let him, he'll turn it to joy for you and for those around you. I'm, I'm more sure of that than ever before. Set your mind, set your mind on the things of God. Set your life in the larger story of God. Jonathan Grant, 
He writes, neurobiologists, get this, this is wild, have shown that while most brain development stops sometime in childhood, the brain's joy center, which is how it's like the kind of like colloquial way it's been called, located in the observable and the right orbital prefrontal cortex is the only part of the brain that never loses its capacity to grow. And read this, I think we have the quote on the screen. As Dr. James Friesen and his colleagues explain, when the joy center has been sufficiently developed, it regulates emotions, pain control, and immunity centers. It guides us to act like ourselves. It releases neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin. And is the only part of the brain that overrides the main drive centers, food and sexual impulses, terror and rage. Without sufficient, quote, joy strength, we spend the rest of our lives trying to fill the deficit. The joy center, apparently, can be nourished, nurtured, and cultivated, therefore grown and expanded. This is the part of our brain that overrides our base impulses, like lust and rage and pride. And funny enough, like 1,200 years ago, Thomas Aquinas, a follower of Jesus, he makes this observation or in the 1200s. He says, uh, without any knowledge, obviously, of the science, he says, quote, no one can live without delight. And that is why a man deprived of spiritual joy goes over to carnal pleasures. Joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose to rejoice and keep choosing it every day. We get to grow it. And so just as the joy center in our brain can be nurtured, the exact opposite is true. It can be suppressed. We can get our eyes down, or we can slowly slip into low-grade despair to lower our expectations of life or decide to live only for ourselves. I've often wondered how many of us um, can take the most compelling person who's ever lived, Jesus in my opinion, and make his followers boring, apathetic, and full of despair. Like, what a sin. Alan Mann says the vision of modern life is summed up in the phrase, project self, which means society exists as a blank canvas just for sort of your expression. There is no larger story. It's just you, your wants, your needs, and usually a lesser story like the American dream. I I don't know about you, but I want to be in a church that's committed to God's work in the world. I want to be rolling with people who are actually interested in apprenticing to a God who's full of joy and becoming disciples of him. People who are willing to live like Jesus and think like Jesus and love like Jesus because that's where the joy is. To kind of land the plane here, I want to go back to last week for a minute. I keep coming back to last week. We looked at Paul saying, when the gospel is preached, he rejoices. We rejoice. It produces joy. I was thinking about James and Jeremiah who were up here sharing about young life. I kept thinking about when Jeremiah pointed out that James has this very demanding job, is also a husband, and has a five-month-old at home. Anyone who's ever been in that kind of season of life knows you have just so much bandwidth and free time. And then Jeremiah, who's working 70 hours a week as a third-year resident in the medical program at Brown University, you know, just a measly average institution that never really asks much of anybody. (laughs) You're working crazy hours like those two are. 
and you still make time to do a Bible study and take a week of your vacation to go to a camp with some hurting, under-resourced high schoolers, what are you doing? Where are your boundaries, bro? No, what you're doing is choosing to join God in the work of demonstrating and announcing the good news. You're choosing to trust Jesus' words that it's better to give than to receive. You are doing the Jesus stuff. You're serving rather than being served. Here's why I bring this up in light of rejoicing. You're choosing to step into the bigger story. You're believing the gospel and saying yes to the bigger thing. Like Deja said, the deeper yes, the bigger yes. And this is what I just hope for for our church always, but in this season, because I think why last week was so impactful for me was because of those knowing a bit of like what those, those two guys going in, I mean, James in tears up here going like, how sweet is this? A deeper sweetness than getting the sleep you probably could have gotten on that week at home. A deeper sweetness than the rest that he might have gotten. A deeper sweetness because he stepped into the story. He trusted an aspect of the story, the missional aspect of the story. That God wants to use our hurts. And that's the old thrice line. Our scars are a bridge like to someone else's healing, something like that, right? Like the ache and the, the, the pain that we've received, these things are gifts to others or they become the only thing we focus on and we wonder why we kind of walk away from it all or find ourselves lost in the pain. And so to close today, I want to turn to an unlikely place in the scriptures. If you would turn with me to Luke 15. Luke 15 verses 11 to 32. Jesus would tell these stories called parables. And he'd tell these stories to help people climb inside the story to understand what is God like? What is reality like at its most beautiful? It is most true. <laughs> what does it mean to join God in putting the world back together? He tells this story that you've read, if you've been around the church, I'm sure, many times. It's the story of the prodigal son, and the story begins with a father whose son wants to run off, and he asks for his inheritance before his father had died. As offensive then as it is now, more so, deeply dishonoring. The father, who's clearly the God figure in this story, says, okay, because that's what God's like. He's not trying to coerce you. We wonder why there's sin and brokenness in the world. God, God, God is a God of love and allows us to go our way. He just allows us, it's okay, you can go your way. And he gives it to him. And the, the, the son, you know the story, runs off, squanders all the money, chases everything down, finds himself in the worst of situations, and he's like, anything is better than this. I'll go back and try to grovel to my father and just be like, please, 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 like take me back. He's like, this is probably not going to work, but he comes back. 
And we get this image. Jesus says, the father runs up the road to him. Which is just a thing that the patriarch doesn't do in that day and age. I always see a smiling father. How could you not? And he takes him in. And let's just pick up really quick in verse um, 22. Bring the best robe, he tells the people around him. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Like, bring the wagyu. We are spending some money. We're going to have a feast. And we're going to, here's the word, we're going to rejoice. We're going to celebrate. For this son of mine was dead. He had no idea where he was and figured he would never come home. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to what? celebrate, to rejoice. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked, what the heck is going on? The servant said, your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fattened calf. They keep talking about the fattened calf because that's like the thing, the, the, the thing you could do to celebrate somebody, because he has him back safe and sound. Let's pause for a quick minute. Where's the joy? In this moment in the story, where is the joy? It's in a party. It's at the party. What's at the party? Grace. Grace. A father who doesn't care about fairness the way that we care about fairness. What's fair is that that younger son gets a whipping. Works in the doghouse for a long time. That's fair. That's just. To be clear, the Father, like God, is not fair. Thank God for that. It's at the party where the gospel is being put on display. It's at the party where we get a little glimpse of the economy of heaven. It's at the party where the lost and undeserving are found and loved. The party is where the joy is. Now let's keep reading. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Like, come on in. But he answered to his father, look, all these years, I've been slaving for you. Never disobeyed your orders. I've been doing the right thing. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, you can read it like that. And this son of yours, like he's not really your son. Remember, he didn't, he wanted to wish, he wished you were dead by taking your inheritance. When he squandered your property with prostitutes and he comes home and you, you pull out like the good stuff. You take that top shelf scotch down. My son, the father said, one of the greatest lines in the scriptures. You're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to rejoice and be glad. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. And he repeats it again. He was lost and is found. You're always with me, and everything I have is yours. You're always with me, and everything I have is yours. You're always with me, and everything I have is yours. Friends, who needs to hear this again today? 
do you need to hear this again today? You are always with me and everything I have is yours. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you put your trust in him, this is true of you. Accept it. Trust it a little bit more. Say the deeper yes, the bigger yes. It's yours. You are loved. Where do you need to trust this today? And can I ask this question? Where are you standing outside the party? Are you standing outside the party? There's joy happening and you're standing outside. Are you in some way refusing to enter the story? Are you in some way unwilling to set the hurt and pain and uncertainty and malaise of your life, some circumstance that you are going through? Are you struggling with placing it in the larger story of the kingdom? The only thing keeping the older son from entering into the joy of the father is what? Himself. That's it. This is what is preventing him from entering into the story. I don't know if he would just walk in and feel joy. Maybe he'd feel all the same pain, all the same jealousy, all the same uncertainty. But he would have placed himself and been able to begin to look around and get his eyes up off what he's going through as if it's the only thing happening in the world. It is the sin of a generation that we are so stuck on us. Get them up. Get them up. Get them up. The only thing keeping him from this. He feels this is all unfair because it is. He feels slighted and jealous, maybe angry and annoyed. There's a bigger thing happening. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. If the older son had had this line embedded in his bones... I'm just asking the question, would this have freed him to rejoice? Would this have freed him to be so excited for someone else? If his eyes were up, if he had drawn near to the heart of his father all those years trying to serve him but never sitting at his feet and learning from him, would he have simply been barged into the family? I like to imagine the older son comes in. He's like, what is going on? Hey, don't get, don't get pissed. But your dad killed the fattened calf for your younger brother who is just a total like nightmare of a, of a man. And imagine if the older son had been like, seriously, he's home? And just ran into the party. Now, this is what I love about Jesus. We don't know how the story ends. He doesn't tell us. We, we do not know. Jesus does this all the time because he's asking you. He's asking you. He's asking me. Will you go in or not? Will you go in or not? Will you go in or not? Will you begin all over again to say the deeper yet that Deja testified to? Trust a little bit more. To rejoice, to live a life set on rejoicing. Yeah, this is hard and real, whatever it is. But I know what God has done in the past. I know his promises now, and I trust his promises in the future that he will make everything new again. One of the things that's been said about Nelson Mandela and Dr. King 
like been well recorded as these were men who were in the heat and heart of worse pain than most of y'all are going through. And they were people marked by joy. Marked by it. Watching a panel of some leaders who had been through such oppression and seeing them giggle and laugh with each other as they talk about the anguish of the world. We don't need to separate and cut the world up. They trusted a larger story. Cornell West, am I, are you optimistic or pessimistic? I don't, he just goes, those categories mean nothing to me. I'm a prisoner of hope. Marked by the story. So the question before us today and every day is will you go into the party? Will you draw near? And I just want to invite you for a moment just to, just to process. To be, we're going to be still for a few minutes before we close. I know we're running late. I know a few people had to like jet out because we don't normally go this long. But we, I want to sit in it. Don't look at your clock or your phone. Just hang in for a few more minutes. Because I just really believe God wants to do something in this moment. And the simple question is, where are you standing outside the party? Are you? Is there any place that God's inviting you to go in? To trust, not just that he has you, but that he has a whole world in his hands. To trust that even though you can't conjure it up in a moment, though I believe God can drop some joy on you, <laughs> that you, you can build some practices into your life. Where, do you, where does God want to illuminate? Like stop going for your phone the first thing you do when you wake up. Or what does it mean to like carve out actual time to rejoice in what he's done, to learn about these promises that Andrew's talking about, to begin to step into this story. Where do you need to carve some things out of your life so you can serve others? You're not serving anyone. You don't know the poor, the hurting around you. And God wants to invite you into the story. It won't just find you most days. You have to draw near to the source. And so this, I give you, and we'll just kind of leave this on the screen for a moment as we process these questions. If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. And if you want joy, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. Come, Holy Spirit.